0: Well, let's see how your uh, remembrance is. Do You want to remember that word from last week? <laughs> That's the Greek word for confess. You remember that? Philippians chapter 2. Paul said, every knee will bow and every tongue will gladly confess to the glory of God, glory of the Father. That word confess is also, in most places, is translated as praise. It was used of Jesus, uh, I will praise you, my Father. I want to confess you as Lord. There's something about that when humankind behold the goodness of God. Once you behold the goodness of God, you find yourself just like, oh, my goodness. Confessing him as Lord. It's been beautiful to see in our nation this last week and. You know what's been happening at numerous colleges and young people are beholding the goodness of the Lord and you know it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance sound familiar Romans chapter 2 right that's what brings us to like I want to confess Christ as Lord the apostle Paul he he understood that because it happened to him we're going to look at that a bit today and uh Paul was uh, a man who had experienced God in a profound way, and Paul, in his second missionary journey, wound up in a place called Philippi, and we've been on this now for several weeks, but Philippi was a very unique place. It's the home of Alexander the Great. It's his father, King Philip, that Uh, founded the place that actually made the place quite famous. And so Philippi uh, was in the home base of Alexander the Great. Although he died at a young age, 32 years of age, he died over in Babylon. Um, He had extended his kingdom that included all of Persia as well. And so Paul, 300 and some years later, arrives in Philippi. And Paul now comes into the midst of a people that all they have known, been known for, and they had been praised for centuries, although they had been taken over by the Romans. um, But all they knew was about power and control. They only knew about forced confessions. You, You name, you call Caesar your lord. And so, Paul comes with a message that blows their minds, and it's a message of Jesus Christ and how that he willingly lays his life down. And this is like so radical to these Philippians because they are known for being conquerors, historically speaking. And now, Paul says that Jesus Christ is one who came And he conquered the powers of darkness, but he did it in an unconventional manner. He did it by the laying down of his life. And then Paul begins to proclaim to them, this is how you become winners. You take on that same spirit of Christ. You win. You overcome through humility and love. This is a radical message. It was, of course, in its day to wherever Paul went and Peter went to the Gentiles, Paul predominantly to the, um, Peter predominantly to the Jews, Paul predominantly to the Gentiles. It was a radical message, and it's a radical message now. But there's something about that when we really behold the risen Christ and we really catch revelation of who he is, We find ourselves humbly coming and confessing him as Lord. Philippians chapter 3. Let's take a look at it. We'll just go for a little ways in this today. We'll wrap it up next week. So uh, fear not. We're not going to try to get all the way through. So now Paul in his letter to the Philippians, he's writing this from prison. And in chapter 3, he says, finally, my brothers and sisters, I want you to rejoice in the Lord. Did you notice that's kind of the, the, the it seems like the reoccurring verbiage that Paul is talking about here in this letter about the joy in the Lord, rejoice, and there's something of a joy that Paul had experienced in his life, and that joy had been made manifest in this gathering of people in Philippi, and so he's encouraging them, rejoice, To write the same things again is no trouble for me. It is a safeguard for you. Now, here is a loving father, and uh, he uh, is reminding them to keep your focus upon the goodness of God. Keep your joy because the joy of the Lord is strength to your life. And joy flows out of that relationship of uh, knowing that we've been included in the love and the life of the Heavenly Father. And knowing that even as Christ has revealed, was revealed within us, Paul made that clear in Galatians, that Christ was not revealed to him from afar, but Christ was revealed within him, Galatians chapter 1. And uh, because there the incorruptible word was in seed form and given the right conditions as you have with any seed in the natural You get the right amount of light and moisture, and then that word, uh, that incorruptible seed, then begins to germinate, sprout, take root, and grow. And so um, Paul is encouraging them to keep your focus upon Christ. Keep your focus upon the love and the life of Jesus Christ. But he says, here's some things I want you to be aware of. So let's read these next few verses. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and take pride in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself could boast as having confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has confident in the flesh, he said I have more reason than to circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness, which is the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss because of Christ. And I'm going to pause right there, okay? He says, beware of the dogs. Well, we Americans think of dogs enduringly. So much so that we spend $123 billion a year on our dogs. Fascinating, isn't it? But you got to understand, in the culture of Philippi, dogs were not beloved. Dogs in those days were usually not pets, and they wandered around in the streets feeding on whatever they could find. They were kind of like scavengers. They, looked, they were looked on upon as unclean in Paul's day. And so the term was used metaphorically for careless and shameless persons uh, who were Judaizing Um, then I'll explain that in a moment. Um, They were Judaizing teachers in Paul's time, working against the preachers of the gospel of Christ. And so the Judaizers, ironically, use this term referring to Gentiles. Yeah, those Gentiles, they're like dogs. They're unclean people because they don't live by the Old Testament law. They're impure, they're impure, and they're unworthy before God. So, who are the Judaizers? Just for clarification, it's a group of Jewish Christians, both of Jewish and non-Jewish origins, who regarded the Levitical laws of the Old Testament as binding upon all Christians. And so, they would try to impose in, in, in the, the practice of circumcision, um, <clears throat> which was important to the Jews as an outward sign of covenant with God. But they would try to impose this practice upon the Gentile converts as a sign of belonging to God and being accepted by God, so as to experience the, the, His covenant blessings. Now, Paul understood by revelation of the Holy Spirit that Christ Jesus superseded the Old Testament law; um, it actually was fulfilled in Him, and that all people, Jews or anyone, experienced the blessings of their covenant relationship with God, but it's experienced through faith in Jesus Christ, who is the savior of all. Now, in the city of Galatia, we won't take time to go over to the book of Galatians, but the Judaizers came into the community of the saints and tried to undermine the truth of God's grace and try to bring them under Old Testament law. And Paul, he uses the, the term, oh, who has bewitched you, you foolish Galatians. He's like this seducing spirit of witchcraft that would come in amongst the saints and try to get them to turn towards the, 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 the law as a means of becoming righteous. And so interesting here, Paul kind of hurls the term dogs back at these men who religious, who were religious zealots, and were not living in the grace of God through Jesus Christ, and so for the Christian, our circumcision is a spiritual work of Christ within the inner person, cutting away from our hearts and our lives that which is is um, um, is of excess and not by the Spirit, and so this happened in and through Christ on the cross and being made fully alive with him. But this is why Paul says we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God. Verse 3 and take pride in Christ and we don't put any confidence in the flesh. In other words, put any confidence in our ability unto righteousness. And uh, then he says, if you're talking about that, he says, I did that very well. Paul was one who worked out his righteousness in the confidence of the flesh, and um, it was was a mistake for him, but he was in his ignorance. So Paul says our pride and joy is in Christ Jesus, not in any measure of our ability to make us acceptable for Father's approval, okay? So any time that we start talking in terms of, or thinking in terms, I need to qualify myself. I need to make myself appealing to God uh, for His approval. We're headed down a wrong track. Okay, this is this is worldly thinking. Um, whereas in Christ Jesus, everything of our salvation is based upon who He is and what He has done, and all oh, we're privileged. And we're privileged to just simply say. Yes, and embrace him. So, Father God's approval of you is anchored in being made in his image and declared righteous by Jesus Christ. So rejoice. That's what it's about. It's that simple. Sometimes I've had individuals tell me, but that just sounds too easy. There must be more that I need to do because I just don't feel good enough after all. You have no idea, oh, what I've done wrong in life. And I, that just sounds too simple. I, I know it does, but it is the, the reality of it. See, religion always has us doing something. You've got to form a belief system, buy into the belief system, and walk through these steps in order to attain to a level of, a, uh, of acceptability and approval and to experience uh, salvation, whatever that looks like. But Christianity can be reduced. And this is what the Judaizers were doing. The Judaizers were coming in into the settings where Paul had gone and would undermine, try to undermine the message of God's grace and that he has done it for them and try to bring these people back into a place where they needed to actually make themselves righteous through the keeping of the law, uh, circumcision, and, and the other related Uh, matters of the law. So, God simply invites us to simply believe in Christ, who is the revelation, the representation, in order for us to experience salvation. So, Paul says, put no confidence in the flesh, verse 4, although I myself could boast as having confidence in the flesh. And as I said, that's the lie of religion, Um, What always happens is that religion always sets up a belief system and sets these steps of actions. And the results then, you have those who are in and those who are on the outside, the ones who are in have carefully followed these steps to attain righteousness. Okay? Then you have have and have nots. You have the winners and you have the losers. And this is what we have throughout our world. And Christianity, when it's reduced down to a religion, then that's what you have. Those who are in, those who are out, those who have attained, those who did not attain righteousness. Oh, you have the winners and then you have the losers. Of course, we all want to be the winner, right? But if you're really a loser, others have identified you as that, then uh, it can take you out. And I would suggest that often... When I have seen people give up on following after God, it's because they have bought into and were fed a lie that where Christianity was reduced to a religious form and a belief system. You need to do this, you should do that, and you don't do this and that. After a while, they become exasperated and they give up. Yeah, I'm just done with the whole thing. Now, their hearts still want to connect with the goodness of a loving father. The problem is, it has just become another religion, in part, just some of the lies they have believed, some, in part, maybe because of the lies that other people have spoken into them. Maybe even trying to help them, to encourage them along. Come on, brother, now you should just do this and don't do that and do this and do that. You know, and pretty soon he's like, I can't do this anymore, I'm out, okay? So, it's a snare of the enemy. But Paul himself was trapped in it. Let's go back to verse 4 again. He said, um, I, I could boast in this, have a confidence in the flesh. Um, and, and he talks about the circumcised eighth day, which was a custom um, of, of the Jewish people. And there are several good reasons for that um, in, in Judaism. Um, of, of the nation of Israel but it was not of just the nation generally it was of, specifically of the tribe of, of, of Benjamin which has great significance Hebrew of Hebrews to the law of Pharisee and on. So Paul is saying look at me if pleasing God comes by our performance and pedigree he says take a look at me I'm of the real Israeli stock he says, The tribe of Judah and um, and he said uh, uh, I I was not a leftover of just one of the 10 tribes. Uh, he said uh, his father named him after King Saul. That was Paul's uh, Hebrew name. It was Saul, okay? We've come to know him as Paul. Uh, Paul was pure-blooded Hebrew. He was fully devoted to the Jewish Old Testament and customs. He was a Pharisee of the strictest sect of Jews and the keepers of the law. And he was dedicated to a Christians from the scene, uh, these who were followers of Christ, because Christ was an imposter from their perspective. He was not the true Messiah. But interestingly, all the while, he was quoting the Bible. Paul had his Old Testament Bible in hand, called it scrolls, manuscripts. And he quoted the Bible, and he found cause in the Bible to eradicate the Christians, have them persecuted, tortured, killed. Isn't that interesting? How that we can literally carry the book in our hands and still be blind? You say, well, come on, not nowadays. I mean, that was just Paul. It could happen to any of us, at least in part. (laughs) Matter of fact, the scriptures tell us that we only know in part We have actually only partial revelation of the fullness of Christ and we won't fully be able to see and perceive and to experience until we stand before him face to face and when all the junk is is uh, burned away in judgment and uh, that's a glorious thing. So here's Paul. How did he get out of this religious deathly trap? He had a free will the whole time. He would heard the gospel. And we could say, Paul, why didn't you just choose? What's wrong with you? Kind of a bonehead. You could have just chosen to follow Christ. And I mean, it's pretty simple, Paul. I mean, we told you the truth. And yet you're out there like this ding out thinking you're doing God a good service trying to eliminate people who are followers of Christ. What's your problem, Paul? You got a will. Your will's free. Guess what? His free will wasn't free. His free will was in bondage. His free will was wrapped in lies. So he was free to make choices, but his choices were we need to round up some more Christians, get them persecuted, get them killed. After all, we gotta cleanse this place of this nonsense, see? First Timothy. Let's go over to first Timothy, guys. This is kind of an interesting thing. First Timothy chapter one and verse twelve. First Timothy one twelve. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. Even though I was previously a blasphemer and persecutor and violent aggressor, yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant, and the faith and the love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost. And yet for this reason, I found, I discovered mercy so that in me as the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Are we not all so glad for God's mercy? and his patience look how patient god was with the apostle paul or before he was known as saul here's this guy denouncing a true faith in christ persecuting rejoicing in the killing of christians and yet god says that's my boy. He's been called to preach the gospel. I mean, and, and, but doesn't it also say in Scripture that his mercy endures forever? Is there any expiration date on God's mercy? Is there any expiration date on his love? I don't know why he tolerates things as long as he does. Have you ever kind of wondered that in your life? And it's like, yikes. Wow. I mean, you know, he could have colored me a long time ago, but he didn't. I mean, he kind of let me get away with and it. it probably wasn't good. But God's merciful. Now understand that his mercy is not about approval of our thinking and behavior, but his mercy sees the delight of his kids and who we are in our ontology, who we are at the very core. We're made in his image and likeness. We belong to him. It's already him in him that we live and move and have our being. We belong to him. We are all in Christ. All people are by virtue of Christ having created them. And so that's why His mercy. Now, if we were um, just ones who were out on our own, maybe created from afar. And here we are just out wandering around in this world, little humanoids, you know. Um, and uh, they're, they're just a part of that thing called human race and whatever. Um, and God maybe not, would not be so merciful. But no, all things are created within him and sustained in him and by him. All humans are a part of him. He's a good father. He's a good, good father. That's who you are. And so he's merciful to us. But what's so interesting is we say, Paul, what a fool. You heard the gospel again and again and you rejected it. Why didn't you choose? He was ignorant. Oh, but I told you, therefore, you cannot plead ignorance. He was blinded. <laughs> How many of you can remember a time which you were ignorant of something and others, somebody else kept trying to tell you, and then all of a sudden the lights come on? And you go, Oh my goodness, where have I been all the time? And right now, some of us have family members, relatives, we have friends, and you've tried to share good news. You've tried to model what it means to walk with Christ. And it can be exasperating at times, like, What's wrong with them? Just say yes. (laughs) They're still living in ignorance and unbelief. And so Paul isn't trying to kind of say, well, I'm not responsible. Hey, sorry, man, I was just ignorant. But he's trying to help the Christians at Philippi and us today to have a little mercy like our Heavenly Father has. And had towards Paul, has had towards us. Let's have that same endurance, that patience, and that mercy with others around us. One another, and with all people. Oh, our world is just like going downhill, and this is going bad, that's going bad. And I'm with you, man, some things are pretty scary. They just really are. It's like, oh dear Lord. I mean, it kind of feels like the wheels are coming off. So uh, see you speaking as a society almost in, in certain areas, you know, some of the craziest things you can't like, I, why is it happening? Blindness, ignorance, and where there's blindness and where there's ignorance, there's no belief. Now we could just leave it there and, and get ourselves all bummed out today and go, I mean, you know, what are we going to do about that then? Oh, knowing this, we always have to remember this. God's mercy endures forever. His love endures. He's patient. He's kind. And he actually shows that towards us. And our prayer should be, God, help us to have that merciful spirit. Help us to be patient. We also know that this is why God invites us into prayer, um, because we can accomplish much more through praying for the opening of the eyes of the hearts than we can through having your face in somebody else's, um, uh, you know, get in somebody else's face, I should say, and preaching at. There's the time, and God uses it to simply share the good news. But Guys, when you do, make sure it's good news and not threats. It's good news. Sometimes I'm really appalled at Christians, how they start threatening Christians and using manipulation and start telling them how they're going to be tortured forever if they don't turn towards God right now and stuff like that. And it's like, that's not goodness that leads to repentance, All that does is just galvanize and kind of reinforce reaction and such. That wasn't the way Apostle Paul evangelized our world. Neither was it the way Peter did. He didn't threaten people and such. We should never, ever be threatening people about potential consequences. What we're called to do is present the goodness of God. And the reality is, and this I would say is that is that we do need to be reminded as humankind that we all will come and stand before the Lord, okay, and give an account of our lives. That Paul did use, and that we see quite clearly uh, in, in, in the Scriptures. And, and honestly, that is a, a sobering in a good, healthy way. Here's what Paul was caught in. He had a free will, but his will wasn't free. Just like many, many, many people today. Paul didn't know what he did not know. I know that's so profound. But he simply did not know what he didn't know. And what's amazing is you and I don't know what we don't know. Right? You don't know what you don't know. Until one day the lights come on, you go well, I didn't know that. That's right. You didn't know what you didn't know. Just imagine all of the glorious things that we have yet to discover, things that we don't know. All the glorious things concerning the revelation of Jesus Christ and the glorious scriptures that we didn't know before. You say, well, I've read that Bible about 50 times. Yay. But I dare say there's a whole lot of things that you still don't know. And one day the lights will come on. It's like... I can't believe that. I kept reading that passage again and again. I never saw that before. That's right. It's beautiful how God changes us. So we have many, many people who don't know. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. So that they might not see the gospel or the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So here's Saul, upright, moral, God-fearing, Bible-toting guy, good citizens of society, yet his free will did not choose Christ. It was right here. Christ is actually revealed throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. You go, oh my goodness, wow, there's another prophetic. Whoa, that points to Jesus. We have multiple, multiple references. That's easy for us now. In hindsight, we can go back and we spot them easily. But they were there. And many other people saw them. But Paul didn't because he was blinded. Um, We are designed divinely and ordered to participate in the life of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Saint Maximus, the confessor, who was an Orthodox Christian monk, uh, he would confirm that God had given to humanity, and I quote, a natural desire and longing for him. I appeal to us to think like this because I believe it's reality. Believe the best. Love believes the best, Paul said. When we believe the worst, that's right, that person, their heart's just not for God, you know. They they don't seem to care for God and whatever, you know. Now you're agreeing with the enemy of our soul. How many of you know that's not a very effective way to see change and transformation, right? But rather, our prayers could be somewhat along this line: God, you have put within every heart a desire and a longing for you. Let there be an awakening. Let there be the 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 peeling back of the scales of the eyes that this individual, that individual, these people might behold who you are in reality, the lover and the savior of our souls. I kind of like to put it this way. Created in the divine image of God, we are incomplete without the revelation of his reality and the experience of his presence. Those two kind of work hand in hand. The experience of his presence at times... Gives us that aha moment when we catch the revelation of his reality, of who he is. They work really hand in hand. Humanity is created for communion um, with the living God. Happiness can't be experienced apart from him. Humans have not been created to have just kind of this neutral relationship with God, and some choose for and some choose against. No, he's created everybody. We're ontologically oriented towards God. We can't help it. We've been created in his image and likeness. And what I would say to us as ones who've been privileged to have discovered it, let's dare to believe that about all people. Let's believe it for all people. They're oriented towards God. Yeah, but you didn't hear what I heard them say the other day. They curse the name of the Lord. Yep. I know I... Oh, that bothers me bad when I hear people do that really deeply bothers me, but I just recognize it's because of a measure of blindness or deception. that's all, but in the core of their being who they are, they're oriented towards God. that's why we speak goodness, that's why we speak life that's why we 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 speak blessing over people. You see. Paul believed this so much and in Philippians 2.10 that we read last Sunday, we, we, we spent some time there, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven, under, uh, on earth and under the earth. What? He's talking about 100% of all human beings who ever have and uh, lived and live and will live. Every tongue will gladly confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, my goodness. Now, some of you students, I'm glad you did that. You went home and studied it out, and sure enough, the word confess means to gladly profess Jesus. And we know that no man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. And we have other references towards that end. And so Paul just believed it. He just believed it somehow, some way, people will. Let's, let's, let's have that kind of a spirit of faith. You know, as Christians, you know, we can look around our world, and, and, and I think um, there would be something wrong of, of us if we didn't feel kind of a, a weighty, heavy concern uh, in our own society and, and, and to see darkness and, and to see such deception and twistedness of, of thinking and such. And, and, and you know, that, that ought to be concerning to us, Okay. But I think it's possible, isn't it, to feel the weight of concern, but at the same time, keep ourselves anchored in the hope of Jesus Christ. How about if we agree with what the Apostle Paul says? Just agree with Scripture. But I believe, Lord, even as Apostle Paul made declaration three places, quoting Isaiah 45, that all my people will come to me. I don't know how that's possible. I don't know when that's going to happen. But I'm going to dare to believe I think it's problematic when we automatically jump to conclusions. Well, probably most of the world's going to go, go to hell anyhow, so well, you know. I mean, thank God, you know, I found the light, glory. And my family, hallelujah. <laughs> no, man, I think we ought to be bold and strong and dare to believe that everybody's oriented towards goodness. To know good is to desire good. To know love is to desire and experience love. And that's in the depths of every little child that's born into this world. Stuff happens. They get traumatized. Evil presses in around them and lies of the devil come to them and, and they begin to change as they get older. But at the very core of their being, they're designed and wired to be responders to the love and the life of Christ and to confess him as Lord of their lives. Come on, let's believe it. You know what? We say what we believe, right? So we just listen to ourselves. Then we know what we really believe. Is that what's on our lips all the time? I thank God. Everybody around me, I thank you. I declare everyone shall come to experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. In whatever means, whatever ways, I thank you. I thank you there's no expiration date upon the love of God. Here's an interesting quote. To see the good truly is to desire it insatiably. Not to desire it is not to have known it and so never to have been free to choose it. You know, thousands of people every day fall in love with another person. Some of you did that. Um, and they're drawn by the God quality of goodness and love, right? Come on, you all act like... Just ask Jeanette. She'll tell you how amazing it was. And in the best way and form, thinking of it in the, in the best way and form, that humans can, can experience human lovers mirror our encounter with our eternal lover. We're drawn to his goodness. When there is the extension of God's love that comes to me through Scripture, through the heart of another person, the kindness of another person, I'm drawn towards it. Sometimes not initially. How many of you ever known have seen a uh, an animal that was abused? It's really sad like a dog that's been abused, kicked around and abused, and you can be the most loving towards that dog, and come here and you wanna, you wanna just gently touch the dog, you wanna feed it, and the dog's afraid of you. Well, many people are afraid because they've been so traumatized and abused and hurt and stuff, so we don't just expect that, yeah, I'll just share the good news now. They're supposed to say, yippee, yay, I believe, I trust you. It may be a long haul of just little bits of kindness, a little bit more, a little bit more, and a little bit more. Remember, God is patient, and he's enduring. And I guess so you are too, because look at our time. (laughs) The goodness of God leads to repentance. To know love is to desire love. Uh, we're not going to get any further today on this. We need to just to wrap it up right there. But what I really want us to say is, God, two things here. One, we can't have confidence in our ability to be good, ever good enough for God. Never possible to be good enough to attain to some level of righteousness. Let's recognize that our privilege is to be responders and just keep a yes in our heart, keep ourselves humble, responding to the voice of his presence. And then as it pertains to other people, may God cause us to be have a heart of mercy and patience towards all people and rather to declare them as rebels or as pagans, Because of behavior that we don't understand, that doesn't make sense, or maybe just very harmful, destructive. Let us look at all people by the grace of God, with the mercy of God, and say, I believe that person, that other person, they're oriented towards God because they've been made and created by our Lord. And his love and mercy is enduring. And I'm going to dare to believe that somehow, some way, sometime, when, I don't know, but they will confess Jesus as Lord. I'm agreeing with the Apostle Paul. Help us, Lord. Let's stand together. I thank you, God, so much that you're so merciful. Your love and mercy endures forever. No expiration date. You always have and always will love us. Now and for eternity. You will always love all people. And I thank you for the moving of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, open our eyes. May we more fully see the revelation of Jesus and who you are, who you've called us to be and how that we can be to people all around us. Open the eyes of our heart. We choose to align our hearts with you to believe the best. To align our hearts with you and recognize that you've got the whole world literally in your hands and that you are working in the midst of all people, in ways that we don't even know or understand. Help us to trust you in all things. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. (music)